0: Out of the 93 Best Picture winners, one must be crowned the bestest of the best. You're listening to The Quest for the Bestest from Backlog Banter. Your hosts are Timo Nelson, Tucker Hazel, Tanner Dykstra, and Abram Buner. You can find more of our content on YouTube and Twitter at Backlog Banter. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Quest for the Bestest, it's the podcast where us backlog boys are trying to figure out what the very best, best picture winner of all time is. My name is Timo, I'm of course joined by Tucker, Tanner, and Abram. You might notice or you might hear, it sounds a little different coming from me, I am on vacation right now and it's a little mobile recording setup, but Quest must continue. We must continue our mission to figure out what the best picture, what the best, best picture is of all time. And this week, we took a watch at American Beauty from 1999, directed by Sam Mendes, starring um, one guy, Kevin Spacey, you might have heard of him, uh, and, well, mm-hmm. this movie uh, proved a little accurate,
1: a little too accurate, I think. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> There's other people in the movie too, Annette Bening, Thora Birch, Mia Suvari, uh, Of course, of course. Uh, John- um <laughs> yeah. I can't
0: wait to talk about it. I think there's I've I had some tidbits because I'm traveling with my parents and my dad told me his thoughts on the movie, so I've internalized them and I'm oh. I'm going to regurgitate them through my own words back at you and Sounds who like knows, who knows who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Can't wait to talk about it. But before we do, I want to revisit what we did last week. We talked about the film Mrs. Miniver. From, oh, way back in 1942. And Tanner, or Tucker, I think you said propaganda just then. That film, we had a lot of thoughts about it as a propaganda <laughs> film. Um, but it got an average score of 8.1, which ended it at number 28 on our list of 58 movies. So fairly far up there. Highly recommend going and checking out that review. And now I will pass it off to the two fellas on the opposite side of me who are going to take our control of our featured comment.
2: Yeah, so I'll go first. We actually got quite a turnout here on Broadway Melody. We should note that uh, mm-hmm. we are, as you can tell by most of our backgrounds, we are, we are all out of sync here. It's the holiday season, so we're doing a little bit Only of pre Only one of us is in a sync.
3: It's paner. It's yeah. Yes. Yes.
2: <laughs> um, but so we're going to we're gonna do a little bit of a speed round here because we've got a lot of very interesting insights. The first one comes from my very own father who says, Abram, <gasps> ouch, the opening with crying, laughing face. Um, so thanks for the support, Dad. Um, and now let's move on to Dan's, who says here, I had not seen this. We bought it, yes, bought it, last week and watched it. The best thing about it for me was was Bessie Love. I sort of liked a couple of the songs. Everything else was boring, dull, slow, etc. The dance numbers were pretty unprofessional, with unbalanced dancers almost falling over, and uncoordinated choreography. Unmemorable characters whom I did not care about. I did not think the sound was... I'd, well, rewind... I did think the sound was better than expected, so there we go. I have seen worse from a couple years later. Yes, dot, dot, dot. We bought it. Thank you, nice. Dan's. Well, there Two you go. Two thumbs up on that comment. You know what? I'll <laughs> give you a third. <gasps> wow.
3: Holy wow! zowie. Live on air. Uh, so if I'm going to do a similar structure to what Abram did, just reading our Freezer's comments for this week, uh, we have a comment from our friend Seth, who is a Lupin on Discord. He says, holy flannel Batman, commenting on the fact that what we didn't mention in the video, but you couldn't have seen visually, we all wore checkered flannel pattern shirts, uh, tops. Mm. So that was sort of our theme for that week for no particular reason. I see uh, that you three have
1: betrayed that once again oh, this I'm week. I'm so sorry. Dan. I, do I, do I do hate to admit over here in Europe, the flannel shirt
0: is not very stylish, and so. Uh, what? Oh God, that
3: makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. But so he comments on that. But we also have a comment from the fifth member of Quest for the Bestest, John Tour. Eleven. It would not says, be a featured comment. Without <laughs> oh dear. It. Mm. Yeah, of course. No, naturally. Uh, Dan's is giving him a run for his money, though. I gotta say, I gotta say it. Uh, John Tour says, "Oh dear." This movie is just a lot of nothingness. I'm impressed you managed to discuss it because I feel like I have nothing to say, except that I'm sure if my great-grandmother was still alive, she wouldn't like it either. It really felt like they didn't know how to do sound, but I watched Alfred Hitchcock's Blackmail from this year a couple weeks ago, and it was fine. This was one, absolutely one of the worst winners, hated it, but I hated Hamlet more. So (gasps) 1.6 out of 10. Uh, Hey, there you go. Now, this is interesting that he comments this because... uh, I was recently looking at the um, Best Picture ranking on Letterboxd, and uh, this is the lowest, or uh, probably Melody yes. was the lowest of all Best Picture winners, rating-wise. Meaning below Crash, which I find mm. a little bit ridiculous knowing what Crash is, but hey, he's, he's part of the crowd here.
1: I think it's the lowest rated on IMDB and Rotten Tomatoes as well. So people are united across the internet in their hatred for Broadway melody. Yeah. And so are we. Yeah. yeah so are yeah. we. Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. yes, well, yes.
0: Are we, my but question anyway. now is, are we united in our hatred or unhatred of American Beauty? I want to talk about this film. I kind of want to start with the broad strokes because after I finished this film, I will admit, I kind of tro- had trouble figuring out what it, was set- what it was trying to tell me at the end. So, I want you guys hmm. to try to become my teacher and educate me. What did you get from the film after it all was done? And let that be, take that how you will.
3: Oh, blank slate Nelson has returned to the show. Let's welcome <laughs> oh, him Lord. back in round I, of have, I have thoughts otherwise. I'd like to but, go last. Um,
0: yeah, I've, I, and I've, there's
1: a very few, uh, not very many thoughts there. It, well, Tim, o- yeah, I'm gonna give it to Abraham or Tucker because I'd like sure. to go last.
2: I'll, I'll, I'll take that ball and run with it because I think that kind of connects into my like, overall feeling on this film. Mm. Uh, I said something in Discord to the effect of, "So this is this is American Psycho, but for pedophiles." As I was beginning mm. in the movie, and that's not really what it is, right? No, um, but it's just a like
3: naming similarity. Yes, yeah. but, but actually, I think
2: both are various critiques on mm. elements of American culture. One hundred percent. And I just recently rewatched American Psycho, which I think is a much stronger film than this. And the reason I feel <gasps> that is because. The American Beauty is outrageous and one of the most engaging best pictures I think we've watched in a long time. Mm-hmm. However, I think that it, it's a movie that has a lot of breadth, but not a lot of depth, in my opinion. Mm. I mm. think that it tries to satirize and address so many aspects of, of the culture that it ends up feeling like it doesn't go deep enough into any of them for me personally. Something like American Psycho, laser-focused on hyper-masculinity mm-hmm. and, and its place in corporate culture and, and personal relationships and everything. And because and of that I, thought like that, I feel like
3: I was one. able to Best picture winner.
2: dive deeper <laughs> into that, opposed something like this that I think hits on a lot of interesting points and raises a lot of ideas, but it ends up just feeling like this tapestry of stuff. Sure. And because mm-hmm. of that, I agree with you, Timo. I didn't quite know what avenue I was supposed to really dive into the film from.
3: I think it's interesting that this film won Best Picture because, first off, this does not feel like a Best Picture winner. It doesn't even really feel oscar nope. bait in any particular way. It's very stylistically interesting. It's very narratively out there in terms of what you expect Hollywood films to do. And this being my second watch of the film and, for the first time, watching it like critically and taking notes and thinking, what are the themes for all this stuff? I do think that you have a point, and I can understand that being a, a criticism on a first watch, but what I think this film does surprisingly well, and while I I don't love it, I don't have a ton of criticisms against it, is that it has a lot of ideas that I do all think funnel back to a certain central theme, which is identity and the way that that uh, approaches different people. The reason that they are covering so many different versions of identity and telling so many, such a wide interconnected tapestry of stories is because There is no one answer for what identity is. I think what this film tries to do with this thematic storytelling is try to approach identity from as many angles as possible so you can get as much information as possible on what what identity means to people. And I I find that really fascinating. Um, The only thing that this film has going against it strongly, in my opinion, is the contextual weirdness of this film's existence, of it Mm -hmm. being... A a story that has controversial topics such as pedophilia and, uh, you know, um, uh, homophobia and things like that. Those make it a little bit of a weird watch and, uh, and there's nudity and there's all sorts of strange stuff. And Kevin Spacey being himself and Timo mentioning at the beginning that it became weirdly prophetic in who he was revealed to be. But mm-hmm. that's really the only thing that um, that I have against this film and makes it a little bit difficult to really narrow down what my feelings on it are personally because that is unfortunately the external the contextual elements are affect my watch of it but not to a big enough not to a big enough degree that i i feel this movie is anything less than great i really do think this is a a, a surprisingly great movie.
0: okay well tanner since you want to go last um, i can I'll, I'll throw my thoughts in here oh go um, for it that yes. i Found myself enjoying this film basically the entire time that I was watching it. I think just in the moment to moment, it's creative and it's funny, and I think there's a lot of interesting and subtle filmmaking things thrown in here to try to get you to feel a certain kind of way while you're watching it. Um, and it was only it was a half truth that I didn't. I immediately after I finished watching the film, I didn't quite know what to get from it. But after reflecting on it and talking with my dad about it, who saw it when it came out and it was around in the historical context of the film. I've since, you know, gained— By which you mean the 90s. The 90s, and um, yeah, and so—which I was not around then. um, I now have a a, a greater appreciation for what it's it's trying to do thematically, but I do agree with Abram on a sense that it is pretty wide-reaching and that it doesn't always get to dive into a lot of these topics super deeply like some of the other films we have. But on the whole, I found it quite enjoyable. 100%.
1: Okay, Tanner, your turn. I think that it, I, I I love American All Beauty. Right, we him. Second only to Parasite, this is the best picture winner that I've seen the most. Hmm. Um, I've, this is my third time watching it, and uh, I, I'll come out swinging here. I, if, I'll come out swinging. If you don't think this movie is deep and you know n- and nuanced and really uh, beautiful, American beautiful, if you will, in in how and what it portrays thematically and through its characters. You're an idiot, plus L, plus ratio, plus you fell off. I'll say it. I'll say it right here.
3: Damn. Because I, I, think, I think this now film this is This kind very of dialogue is exactly why people comment on us being <laughs> youngins with no idea what we're talking about.
1: <laughs> you, don't make me. I'll do a Fortnite dance on this show. Don't make me do it. And he but, if I if I can get back to being serious, I do think that American Beauty is a is a near perfect film, if not a perfect film. Um, I did get some different thematic, uh, sort of narratives out of it than you guys did, which I'm interested to, to delve into what you guys thought of it versus what I thought of it. Um, but I think that across the board, th- this film is very focused in what it's trying to say and what it's trying to do. I think all the performances are great. I think it balances a very interesting set of genres being a dark comedy and then towards the end being sort of like a almost like a hopeful but darkly bittersweet hopeful sort of comment on what what humans should should strive for in life that's my favorite genre (laughs) well you know what i mean but but yeah i mean i there's i could talk about Basically any aspect of this film for a length of time. So we'll see how long the American Beauty episode goes but Back to my central point. I love this film.
2: Wow. I want to say I because before we really get deeper into that mm-hmm. This movie you're right Tanner. It's a dark comedy, and it's a really good one. This movie is fucking hysterical yes. I, I, I I think it is so consistently witty Mm-hmm. And and it's and it's wit that generates the humor here, which I think is uh, pretty hard to write. But I mean, you take the absurdity of these scenarios that are intersecting. This like drug dealing pervert who films everything and is like a like a modern day Play-Doh. and this yeah. old guy who works at a magazine who quit the job and wants to have sex with a with a minor and this real estate woman who's having mm-hmm. an affair with a gun toting like local celebrity <laughs> like it's it's inherently the King outrageous, of real estate, buddy King. <laughs> yeah, it's out. It's inherently outrageous, but the script ties all of these people together in a mm-hmm. way that is so humorous but it never feels like it loses its own plot it's very very smart
3: it has its own sense of reality of what in this world is funny to people and everyone has just like the max possible level of sarcasm in their sense of humor like everyone is firing at all sun on all at all times and i think what that really does is using the sharp dialogue establishes each of their personalities at a fucking moment's notice like the moment that you meet each of these characters And depending on what they're doing or how they're responding to the situation they're put in, you know exactly who they are. And while that means that we don't necessarily get, like, a full fleshing out of all of their backstories, I don't think that's necessary. I don't think that's necessary because they are so incredibly distinct. I mean, we have a main cast of seven characters here, maybe a little, you know, around there somewhere. Mm -hmm. And, And while Kevin Spacey is the lead and his name is... Uh, Lester Burnham. Uh, mm-hmm. He is the narrator. It's through his eyes. I don't even know if that's necessarily true because he's still not in a lot of the film. It, it, mm-hmm. This film is focused on that tapestry, which I think, with Adram said earlier, which I think is a great word to describe how this film is structured. And I think that's why this film is far-reaching and 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 wide in its concepts. But uh, yeah, no, I I I I think the wit. Is the pervasive element through all of that that makes Mm -hmm. it feel like no that these these crazy things are Connected there is a central concept here and it's through that dialogue that that becomes really apparent
0: Yeah I mean in the middle of the film when when Um, when we really when Kevin Spacey really goes off the rails basically and he's he's, He does not care. That's some of the funniest stuff in the whole film Um, it's yeah I I, it, it finds itself being a little too relatable at times i'm like i'm like i why why do i relate to mm. this I, I don't want to i do like
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh if i may shout out just a few because i wrote down some mm. of my favorite bits uh you know, when they're at the when they're at the company party or whatever and Annette, uh, kevin spacey just clearly doesn't want to be there and he, he's, tr- he's being, like, forced to talk to Buddy and Buddy's wife or girlfriend or whatever. And Annette Benning says, oh, don't be weird, Lester, or whatever. It, he stops for a second and looks at her, and he's like, all right, honey, I won't be weird. I love his delivery in that. He says, um,
3: I'll be anything you want me to be. Exactly. And then he just fucking goes monkey mode. It's really yeah, the way it yeah.
1: is. Um, oh, <laughs> the, the fuck be your majesty when... <laughs> When Carolyn is cheating with uh, with with Bud uh, in in the motel or whatever, that's, that's so hilarious. funny. That's, that whole this, scene this, is insane. This is a very background thing that I caught, <clears throat> but the first time that Lester goes to Mister Smiley's the Burger Place, uh, their drive-through sign just has a big thing on the corner of it that says "Free Napkins." <laughs>
3: I, I, I love thinking of the, the set designer who was there that day. Yeah. Like, this would be really funny. No one's going to exactly. fucking notice, but... Well, that's actually... Yeah, that's,
2: I think, why this movie ends up working as well as it does. Because I want to talk about... My point about it feeling like it doesn't go deep enough, particularly, it pertains to only one facet of it, and that's sure. the weird plastic bag, a hopeful camera, oh, beauty sure. and life okay. thing, which I want to talk I about. I agree with you, yes. But, hmm. but um... The movie is so pointed in things like that scene when um, Kevin Spacey is there with Carolyn. They're talking to they're talking to Buddy. He mm. is like he's like over. This not. It's terrible for the audio listeners. Oh. But he is over in the bottom of the frame like this, and his wife is up above him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the 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 film does very subtle things to reinforce what I think this movie is really about, which is about like this consumerist, capitalist, profit-driven American society that mm-hmm. is ruining all of these people's lives. And I think it subtly does things... Like reinforce the the gendered stereotypes that come out of that by having him be framed lower than his wife in a shot, mm-hmm. or having the 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 store advertise that they have free napkins, right? Like I think mm-hmm. it's subtly satirical in addition to being overtly satirical with these plot yeah. moments and the more just ridiculous joke moments, like the cut to them having sex in the motel, or yes. <laughs> or, or or them like just smoking weed out behind the the, the thing, Ricky yes. and and. <laughs> they're like it operates on a lot of different levels to kind of converge on its main Abraham, idea. you bring
0: up an interesting yeah. point about the, the the satire there and in talking to my dad about this he brought up the idea that the the culture of the 80s and the 90s was just in this like building up to this crazed Craze like you have to do whatever it takes to get as much money as possible And I feel like that whole idea ends up playing out Pretty well in the film, um, even though it isn't very explicit about what that is where it's coming from in building up that thematic base. It kind of just throws you in there, and my my like I like that that's the theme. I think that's an interesting theme, and I think once you get what it's doing about with that theme, it's good. But it, the barrier to entry and like the the knowledge of where this lives in kind of like American zeitgeist is a little too high for me, and I I ended up missing that. Um, while I was watching it tucker, you look like you have something to say right now.
3: Yeah Yeah, no, I I, I think that it's really interesting to think about how this film sort of fits into American history in a point mm-hmm. in, in history where none of us Experienced that because we weren't born yet and the time that was closest to that being the you know the aughts, we weren't really Particularly cognizant of culture at that point mm-hmm. in our lives, we were we were. Abram was just watching Star Wars on repeat. I don't I don't even know what I was <laughs> up to. But I I think that it's interesting from our point of view to look back and watch this at a period in time where consumerism was at that all time high, and uh the home video was just becoming a thing, and and all these different aspects of consumers culture that feel sort of normalized to us were the hip thing back then, and the way that it sort of Puts in the expectations that you are watching this as someone from an American culture who knows that this is how it was, and this is just general knowledge is actually pretty interesting as a concept of how this film existed in that moment and exists now, because a lot of films ease you into this is what this time period is like, this is what is you know this is why people are feeling this way, but this movie is movies like no you know this already you're you're an American. You know that mm-hmm. this is how things are, so let's just get right off the bat and go to hit him at work uh, getting subtly fired by his boss and having problems with his wife and all this stuff. And I think getting mm. into it so quickly off the bat actually works in this film's favor. And I don't particularly remember how I felt about that the first time I saw it, but having going to it a second time, I didn't think about that twice because I knew what to expect, and I think that this film knows and is in his laser focused in a different way when was talking about American psycho and that being focused but I think it is laser focused in the idea of it knows where it's going at all times mm-hmm. and and it, it expects you to keep up with that maybe a little more so than it should but i do think it's very unique because of that
1: I think that it's interesting you know talk you bring up the fact that this is sort of this time period is sort of foreign to us now yeah. uh you know the these late 90s dawn of the internet sort of uh, suburbia setting but i think uh that th- what it's really saying about this era is timeless still sure. you know, the, the rampant consumerism the fact that everyone is sort of dehumanized by this profit incentive and the fact that we're also we're also divided i'm not from saying one that's another. not true anymore by the way <laughs> oh yeah exactly of course but um i do think that a lot of that stuff is just like the outer crust or may- maybe the lens uh through which uh, Sam Mendes and screenwriter Alan Ball are trying to say what they're trying to say with this film. And I like to get to that in a little bit, but I, I think it is important to sort of analyze the lens a little bit more because it, it, you guys are right. It's a critique of, you know... American society in 1999, and the and like it's it's a satire of the American family as well. You know, we Mm get yeah. uh, Abram talked about framing a little bit earlier. I love the first dinner scene. Is a slow push in on the dinner table, and just the way they're framed, they are the farthest apart that they could possibly be in the frame. There there is no cohesion in this family unit in the Burnham in the in the Burnham family and. The character writing is so is so tight and efficient that you get you get, you get an, an immediate idea of who each of these characters are, what their role is within the family dynamic. You get Lester; he's a wiener. He's put upon. He's he he, he hasn't had agency for fourteen years of his life. You get Carolyn, his wife who is hyper-focused on giving off the illusion of success, giving off the illusion of, you know, she plays the fancy elevator music. She has, uh, the, the, the asparagus plate has, like, lemon, like, little slices of lemon uh, to, as like, to, to garnish the dish and stuff like that. She's very the much couch. about, uh, yes, the couch. Yeah. She's very much about appearances, and oh, she, she more couch. than, she more than anyone uh, sort of, uh, represents that sort of consumerist materialistic sort of ideal and then you have um Jane right that's yes. the daughter yeah then you have Jane who is really you know she's the like she's the counterculture of the 1990s the punk the nirvana listeners the what the nine inch nail listeners what have you she's you know goth and she uh, but she is still, being raised up in this culture that is telling her that she should be focused on being popular, on being sexually desirable. That's why she wants a boob job. That's like, that's, that's like the first thing that we get introduced to her with. And her friend, Angela, who's not talked about at all, but who is another very intrinsically important part of this film, is probably the most... is probably the the forerunner in placing the, that sort of pressure upon her to be sexually desirable. And then, of course, she meets... Ricky, who is, as, as Abram astutely pointed out, is like the 1990s 18 year old Plato of this, who films plastic bags. And while I think um, there is a point to be said about how some of that, like, I'm 14 and this is deep philosophical sort of stuff, <laughs> God. I think it, I think it works. So I think it works because they are, they are 17, 18 years old. And the way, the way that they're saying it is is sort of like a little cringy and stuff like that. But what they're saying still reaffirms the themes of the movie. Yeah. See, th-
2: this is where I, I think I reached the greatest point of di- digression with you, Tanner. Because okay. I, I don't think... I think the Ricky stuff would have worked well if it hadn't then been reaffirmed by Lester in the closure of the film. Okay. After he's uh, been killed yeah. in, in, in that kind of ending monologue of the film. I, I personally do feel like it is... That the heart of the film thematically, and because this really is a movie driven by its theme. For as engaging yes, as the plotline is, it is about yeah. that subtext. And I think the subtext about American culture is what the film cuts its teeth on, and what ends up feeling, I think, the most poignant. When mm-hmm. you introduce the the like meta textual, you gotta find the, all of the beauty in life and all of this. It just it feels like we don't give enough time to that for it to be anything other than the I'm fourteen and see, I'm I, deep type see, of material. I think-
1: I think that it's the, the, the I'm 14 and I'm deep section, as we're probably now going to call it. Of course. Uh, I see is, that. When it, is when it comes to the forefront. But I think that sort of, uh, I, I really view this film as absurdist in its philosophical for sort sure. of school of thought in that there is no meaning in humans, uh, as individuals and as uh, society as a whole are driven to search for meaning in a meaningless world. I think that is the sort of, underlying that is the that is the mantle I think that's that's the Ooh. the geology term right wow. that, that is that the is mantle of the beneath earth, yes beneath the crust of the critique of american culture the beneath the lens that is the philosophical thought that we are exploring throughout this film and i think that's interesting if we can relate it back to kevin spacey and his whole uh character arc through this because if if you're if you're reading it and you know I think Kevin Spacey Lester Burnham is very much a a classic a classic example of if you idolize him you're wrong uh, throughout the entire film because he to the uh, to the to the naked eye he's like oh he's railing against the system this is all cool and good and he's he's smoking weed and he's working out this is the stuff that I want to do and just like to a lot him, of my friends yeah exactly <laughs> to him that is the like utmost like counterculture, I'm going against the system this is me, I'm living the, the life that I want to, I'm living my life the way I want to live. But I still think that is, he, he's still misguided in that because th- that pursuit of like his desires and his youth and just like going, just doing what he wants to do is no more deep or meaningful than the pursuit of, or than his wife's pursuit of like being a successful real estate agent because that's what she wants to do. Yeah. It's it's just a pivoting of goals. I think that Lester's character arc really comes to fruition in the closing monologue right before he dies, when he when it sort of reaffirms this idea, the answer that Sam Mendes tries to give you about like no, I mean the the answer that it gives you is life is about those non-material, those fleeting moments that that just kind of pass through you and you and you look back upon. It's not something that you can grab onto and put a dollar tag on in the moment it's it's something else and i i think that is why the that philosophical viewpoint is viewed through the the capitalistic 1999 Mm, america tenor you probably would love to talk about this film with my dad because he took the same viewing
0: of lester burnham as as you did in that in his search to 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 kind of find himself sort of, he like reverts back to his high school sense. Yes, and, exactly. And I, I kind of think about yes. it as, oh, initially he is attracted to Angela, and I, who knows what the impetus is for his regression back to this, you know, childlike state. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would believe it is Angela, which like makes us. him a, a truly and deeply flawed character but I, I think that mm-hmm. that idea of that also being equally as shallow as the it's it's like the pure pursuit of objects and the pure pursuit of pleasure It's like hedonism in its yes. in its extreme. All he wants yes. to do is He all he wants to fuck he wants to smoke weed and he wants to you know lift weights. That's it And that's exactly. not a particularly yeah, yeah. just like a lot of my friends in high school
2: <laughs> See uh, see I don't know though because uh, this is also my reading I don't think either is inherently more right than the other but i sure, I think yeah. mine is better because I'm me so I agree oh, well, with myself I said more that at the beginning
1: you know. I got it in before because I said you were wrong remember that's actually that's
2: actually a really strong point but but yeah, no yeah. For,
1: for, for real I think where I
2: kind of lose that plot a little bit is because I read this more as the criticism of America uh, mm, and sure. it's capitalism opposed to this sort of universal human condition and that's why for me I found the Ricky stuff to be a little bit more of a disjunction because his attraction to Angela basically comes out of nowhere it's she's doing the the cheerleading dance and all of a sudden a wooga Ooh. a woman uh, or actually, car horn, a, a, a young car girl let like very to speci- let's, be, mm-hmm. let's be very specific a young girl and I think yes. the reason that that is important is because it sort of goes back to this established academic idea of like the fetidization of a schoolgirl or, or yes. things like this right and and i think that where the movie works best is when it's talking about these sort of gross excesses and tropes and archetypes that are sort of feeding this world where you're going to quit your job by threatening to fake a sexual assault allegation to get Mm -hmm. a year's worth of bonuses, right? And I think that that is a lot more of an interesting and challenging criticism of our very, like, structure of life, opposed to reducing it down to this idea of Actually, the movie is trying to tell us that life is lived be outside of the context of possessions. I just don't think that's as useful or as rich of a of a message um, as, as centering this film on the American capitalism.
1: I'm not saying that the movie isn't about that. I think it's about yeah. a lot of these different things and that's why I love this movie so much is, is, and I, why I think it's really deep and not just it has the width and the depth uh, if we can refer back to that sort of analogy. But, yeah, I, I'm not saying that it doesn't sure. uh, critique those things very well. I think it does. I think that's a whole other discussion that we can get into. But yeah. I wanted to get out my sort of philosophical, sure. like, m- more non- metatextual reading. My, no. my, my philosophical nonsense. No, no, my no, rantle
2: that I went on. I think on. that's a strong point. I, I do, yeah. but I, I just feel like almost if we're gonna... Okay, we're, just, we're going with pool analogies. It's a pool analogy. Sure, day. why not? There's a pool. Yeah, more there's like a really, concrete pit. There's Lagoons, a pool in this movie. Yeah. It's, no, it's not a lagoon, Tucker. She she it's, has tiki torches, but it's not a lagoon. In the if, garage. If we're t- if we're talking about the depth, this is like one of those pools where, where like it starts at like four feet deep, and then the is like 12 feet deep on the other side, you know? And I just feel like the Ricky stuff is like the four feet deep side of the pool. There okay. is depth there, but I just yeah. think that you, that the movie swims further down into more complex and applicable, I think, sort of material, like, like almost leftist concerns mm. that I think have a little bit more grit to them than the sort of, man, let's just like look at the plastic bag and find beauty in it, which I think is an important message, but just one that kind of feels like it's getting in the way or isn't given enough time opposed to the other I, facet of the film.
3: I definitely agree. I mean, my biggest problem with this movie outside of its contextual problematicness is is mm-hmm. my in my only negative point on my page is that I, I do think this film is, is totally confused at the end, thematically confused. And I think that's what Abram was feeling as well. When you end on a monologue and slow slow slow-mo shots of people being sad in the rain and it's his dying words of you know I just wanted to look up in the stars and see a car and be with my wife and whatever it's like that might be true but frankly through a lot of the characters and a lot of the screen time of the movie you don't feel that from a lot of the characters and maybe that's why they're not fulfilling their lives because they're not pursuing that but I think the idea that that is the only way to be happy is to enjoy those smaller moments and ignore everything else is in itself kind of antithetical to this idea that there is one way to be happy. And, and I find that kind of at odds is that different things mean different things to different people. I don't think that uh, Carolyn is any... Necess- she's she's a very complex character. She wants to almost kill her husband and she wants to cheat on her husband and she, she is very focused on a lot of things. But I do think there's readings to each of these characters which is within their own identity how they're able to find joy to find what they want and what this movie really comes down to me is is what are what what are the consequences of going after what you think is right without worrying about anyone else what might happen if you do go down that path and and the idea of t- attaching together this group of fucking just Ordinary people. I think this this movie should be called Ordinary People, and not fucking American View. Uh, that that to the general culture of of today and of the '90s are all doing something secretly that is that is not cool. That you know, well, different degrees of not cool. <laughs> but but the idea that everyone sort of has this dark desire within them somewhere. No, how, how much they let that out, how much they let it take control of them i think is where the movie sort of diverges in all its different characters but exploring the, like breadth of that of of jane being sort of on the low end of teen angst that that is the core of her problem and doesn't mm-hmm. know who she is as a person because she hasn't lived um and then all the way to the other side of lester of of desiring after a minor and mm-hmm. uh and shying away from everything there's this breadth there that i think focuses on a whole range of people that when the ending of the movie ties back to just Lester and it's just Lester and, you know, by extension, kind of Ricky's philosophical nonsense of the bag in the wind is the ultimate way to find beauty and joy in life. I feel like the kind of goes against what the rest of the movie was setting up for me i mean
1: i i think uh and timo i'd like to i'd like to let you talk because you haven't talked a lot but uh i think that you know lester is our protagonist and he is the lens through which we are viewing majority of the film and i do appreciate that a lot of the you know uh, the other characters get screen time but i think that uh, that sort of the the message that uh alan ball and sam Mendes give you at the end through lester's sort of dying monologue is applicable across the board and we we don't we get it through Lester's perspective because we're it he is our narrator. we're getting like his memories of what he what he realizes sure. that the true moments of life were yeah. and i think but I think it's applicable to you know if we talk about Carolyn who uh is you know laser focused on the, the material uh marks of of success and stuff like that and if we talk about Jane, I think she is being sort of rescued from that sort of the suburbia purgatorial hell that 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 the the, all the characters live in she's being sort of rescued from that and uh it it is about like she's becoming freed from that sort of prison of uh consumerism and stifling of like what life truly is
0: Hmm. well tucker i think you earlier just uh kind of clarified why i was so Confused at the end of the film because I, I definitely agree with you sure. I, I didn't know how to put it into words when I saw it But you did it for me by saying that the the film is about learning how to To appreciate life in in like your own ways uh, And and then by yeah. going ahead and saying like well oh, you have to do it like this which it's not a horrible way to live life I, I mean, you know appreciating the small moments you, you can't complain but I think that the, it definitely confuses the, the message when we kind of take we're, we're so focused on, at least in my reading, I guess, and Tucker and Abrams also of, of this consumerist, you know, late 90s, like crazed society. Um, and we throw in kind of, in my mind, the B theme. I'm sure t- 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 Tanner is not quite con- in agreement that that's the B theme, but the way i saw it yeah. is the b theme and then that is the ultimate thing that comes around and is like the final message of the exactly. film you know i i didn't quite see how they connected while i was watching it and only now do i really understand it after you know half an hour of discussing and so for me it's like mm, you could have put those two thematic ideas in more conversation with each other earlier in the film so that I actually like, knew what was, yeah. where it was going as it was building up. Because unlike plot, which this film does a pretty good job of being unpredictable, stuff happens that you're not quite sure. You, it's stringing you along. You think, you think um, Jane is going to be the one to kill Lester at the end, even though you know, she isn't. And, but thematically, I want to be able to figure out, because that's a lot harder to understand than just like, what's happening in a film.
2: I actually want to. I actually want to talk about that because I think that the ending of the film and its editing is very Silence of the Lambsian. Oh. In terms of the way that it pulls off, I think really expertly this fake out kill of Lester, because ultimately I think unpredictability is a core tenet of how this film is is operating on a plot level. Mm. So we talked a lot about the themes, but I I was you know renting the movie on amazon and i just happened to see because google gives those goddamn like questions it's like a question section of a google page now and one of them was like how like why does lester get killed i'm like oh damn it now i know that he gets killed but actually that's Mm -hmm. the film is framed around at the beginning of the movie you know he's gonna die yes and it's and the ways that we, we we reach his death i think are very effective and i think it's communicated through a lot of filmic techniques i think the editing in this movie is very interesting not only the way it's editing for that sort of discontinuity to like obfuscate his actual killer but the ways that editing is also used in a sort of like repeated comedic or like like grossly comedic way like when um uh, ashley ashlyn evelyn i forget her name now
3: carol actually
2: Angela. Angela, good. Ange- oh, the 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 teenage the Jane's yes. friend. Okay. Yeah, when, when she's like reaching for Kevin Spacey, like the camera will cut to her arm moving. We call it that elliptical ed- editing. Ed- editing. Elliptical yes. edit. Yes. wooga a new film word for me. But I, I think <laughs> new film of, unlocked. <laughs> I think all of that editing is very effective in the film. And
3: it's very if if want, and fire the triple heads. actions where Ooh. you get you see
2: the
0: same thing repeated over and over again for
1: obvious emphasis.
3: That's elliptical editing.
1: Yeah. The uh, so we're talking about if here. we talk, if we want to talk about other filmic elements that uh, we like about American Beauty, I, I I'm not one to talk about score a whole lot, but I love Thomas Newman's score for this film. It is a fantastic score. From that opening, I tra- I tried to recount it and sort of sort, sort of tried to uh, verbalize it to Tucker and Abram before they watched the film. But the work. opening xylophone sort of thing of the of going over the suburbs or whatever is great. It's probably one of my top five favorite score pieces ever because it's, it's very simple but it conveys like the mood and the idea of like the quaint quiet suburbs a little like very very well and it's it's beautiful in its simplicity in that sense i my second favorite uh like sort of score piece throughout this film is uh the only time i noted it it might have come up more often than this but what the first time i noted it was this sort of uh, bath dream that Lester has of Angela when she's in the bath full of rose petals, and there's this really like this distorted uh, guitar guitar that like will suddenly start and stop, and I think that just adds the sort of like off kilter sort of fantastical uh, dreamscape that uh, that Lester is existing in in these in these. Yeah, models. I mean, if
3: there's yeah, the music is really you.
0: Well, I was going to say, if there's any proof of, of the music's uh, at least long-lasting impression, I made a film in middle school that ripped off the like what, the, the the sort of Indian... The, the music that plays whenever Angela is being super, super sexualized. I made a film that yes. very clearly ripped that off. Um, and my teacher put it in there because mm. I hadn't seen this when I was 14. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so it exists... I think that's a point towards the score being recognizable. It's different. It moves through a lot of different genres. It's not just your, your full orchestra film, epic suite kind of stuff, which
3: I like. Yeah. And especially, I think, that what the music conveys to me with that opening shot, which I think where it's the most obvious that the, mm-hmm. the music is sort of playing into this weird mood that the film is establishing, is that it does sound like a comedy score. I mean, it's the bubbliness and sort of uh, we're poking fun at at playfulness. Yeah, Yeah, playfulness that the film, obviously, thematically and story wise, gleans away from near the end because very serious shit happens. Um, Mm -hmm. But the idea of framing a world of depraved people with things that happen that are very dark around a comedic tone, I think is why this film is as unique as it is because we're used to getting, you know, great dictator sort of style uh, satires of of serious stuff happening, mm. but it leans very heavily into the comedy. Like, okay, I know this is a comedy. I think this right. film actually leans just a tidge more into the drama of it because yes. you're able to read past the comedy that this is dark comedy and that balance works perfectly. And I think that's because of the score feeling almost entirely like a comedy score, but then you're like having this juxtaposition of, he's like, ah, Hey, it's me Lester. And this is my life. Uh, And oops, (laughs) I'm going to die in a year. Uh, But then you're like, wait, he's going to die in a year. And he Uh hates his family and he hates his job. And, oh, this guy is kind of a shithead who is literally a pedophile. And Uh like, and all this crazy shit with all these characters, it's, it's a juxtaposition that, by the end of the film, feels right. I think that yeah. maybe through my first watch of the film again, I don't particularly remember what I thought initially. But I'm, it, it's a little bit jarring to have these elements sort of in conversation. But this this film again is focused in what it knows its tone to be, and and the mm-hmm. the score is a perfect. Yeah,
0: I think also that the the, uh, the rem- voiceover uh, helps out quite a lot, and that it's well done yes. voiceover. Very very rarely do you get a script that has voiceover that is included but not too much like it's there it's there when we kind of need it or when we need a good like joke to be thrown in there but for the most part it's it's out of there which is what i want from voiceover a a lot of the times i think it's well Mm. done it's used when it should be and it's not
1: used when it shouldn't be so points for that yeah uh abram do you did you have anything to say about the score otherwise i'm gonna go through the wins and noms here a second which might inspire a little bit more comments of something we might have forgotten to talk about
2: I'm gonna be honest with you. I score barely registers with me. Uh, that's how I am most of the time. Yeah. That's how uh, I am most of the time. Unless Abram we're talking like music. Star Yeah, unless you we're talking mean Star Abram. Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I but but yeah. no, it I will say that it was um not offensive because I didn't but wasn't bothered by it. That's about all I can have There you
1: this. go. Well d- uh well, Abram, that's about only the only praise that Thomas Newman will get for his score because he only got a nomination. He did not get the Oscar for Best Score for American Rats. Beauty, which I think he should have. I think this is a, one of my all-time favorite scores. Do scorers. you know what beat it? Uh I do not. Does someone dumb, want to look that up for me real quick? Friend. Uh while I do that, uh this film was also nominated for Best Film Editing, Best Actress in a Leading Role for Annette Benning, uh, and it won Best Cinematography, Best uh Best. Original screenplay for Alan ball. I think this is a great screenplay by the way Best director for Sam Mendes best actor in a leading role for Kevin Spacey and best picture of mm-hmm. course
3: uh, The red violin beat it for oh,
1: that sounds like a movie that well, is... I'm sure that's pretty boring
3: <laughs> Yeah, the rest of them. all yeah, the rest of the nominees also seem like about there There's a movie called Angela's ashes that John Williams scored and
1: hmm. Well, hey, how about one that? thing
0: you you Regardless. mentioned cinematography and so I'm going to combine two of my points here yes. in that there was we talked a bit about the framing and how how that is is used really yes, really really, really creatively that. and and it's it's sometimes you know as filmmakers we put a lot of effort into thinking about like these subtle things in the frame you're like oh I'm going to frame the shot so that the shoulder takes up you know like 75% of the frame and then and then his little head is like right there in the corner um and and a lot of the mm-hmm. times I feel like that's wasted effort. It, it, it's not really noticed. I don't think it's wasted effort at all in this film because I notice, I'm like, okay, they're sitting very far apart on the dinner. He's, Lester's totally crammed into this corner. He has like nowhere to go in this frame and in thematic sense in his life and whatever. But also I think the set design and just like the general art direction of the film really work to highlight like the blandness and like super boringness of where they live the interiors are like one color they're cream the, the mm-hmm. nothing is interesting until the characters are in these spaces where they are themselves interested. <laughs> Case in point, Lester's garage becomes very colorful once he's spending a lot of time in there. Yes. Um, but other areas out, <laughs> mm-hmm. outside of that are not. The film is like really, really muted in its colors. And I think that works a lot to its benefit.
3: Except for yes. red, though. The color red, obviously, very intentionally, thematically relevant, as it is yes. in, in many movies. But yeah, no, I think that the the set design really draws your focus away from Anything around them, like you don't give a piss where they are at any given moment, unless it's Lester's garage or or Ricky's crazy fucking cinephile. Oh room. yeah, his uh, his
1: w- room that's covered wall to wall in like cassette tapes. Exactly. He's that. also got yeah. a little. He's got but some vinyl it, it in does, there
3: too for our for the
1: for the music level. Oh good, out there. good, good, good. Yeah. What I do think that it, Floyd? it
3: draws sure. your attention to is things like framing and and uh the roses being and red being thematically relevant to the film and Mm -hmm. then like it's interesting that a film has such good set design to make you not give a shit about the set design like you do not focus on the set design at all unless it's leaning into it in a particularly different way and i think it's very Mm -hmm. strong because of that
1: if i can shout out a few of my favorite bits of set design and or cinematography um the first shot of the outset the outside of the home when lester is running the door and his briefcase falls open because he's a loser wiener guy uh, th- th- it seems like they like turn the contrast up because the green of the grass is just like a little bit like too artificial and like the red door and stuff like that and the white of the house they- they're all these very uh, s- all the colors stand out a lot so that it feels artificial it doesn't feel like this is a real place I called, sure. it, uh, I called it purgatorial earlier I think that is sort of like the idea of the suburbs that American Beauty is trying to paint
3: that's what vivarium is about
1: true very true um Also, another one of my favorite ones is the sort of contrast of the two... Meetings with Brad Dupree his boss the first time that oh, we meet yeah. him is this giant wide shot in unless you just like sitting in his little chair in the middle of the room and the second time when he quits uh, He's 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 framed much more closely. So he know he, he seems more Domineering and in control of the situation and Brad is
3: also inversed in both of those in terms of how much he's doing Yes, yes, all, yes. all yeah. of that just kind of um, indicates
1: to
0: me what Sam Mendes, Sam Mendes really knows what to do with the camera I think that's if you look at his filmography, yeah. which I think we've all seen a good Amount of his films that he he just knows Mm. how to use the camera to tell the story, which not every director does, and so he gets props for that for me.
1: He was I haven't done a lot of trivia because I've been explaining my love for American Beauty, but Sam Mendes was handpicked by the one, the only Steven Spielberg to direct this film. Hmm. Uh, uh, As you might have seen, this is 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 a a a DreamWorks film. film. I know, I saw the opening. That "Hmm, that
3: is. that was uncomfortable to open with. I'm like, uh-huh. D- does DreamWorks do this shit anymore? Do they do, like, pedophile kill movies? <laughs> no, Dreamworks? that's Pixar.
1: That's Pixar with John Lasseter or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Abram liked that joke. Uh, but speaking of Steven Spielberg, I do have another piece of trivia. He received a script from this from Alan Ball on Saturday night. And on Monday morning, he walks into the, the DreamWorks office and says, We're going to make this movie and we're not going to change a word. And then he handpicked Sam Mendes. To and then it him. won
3: Best Picture. I need to learn more about the not animated movies that DreamWorks does. Because the idea Although, that Steven Spielberg is like, Hey, DreamWorks, the makers of, in my eyes, I don't know, what do they do? Madagascar Shrek? and fucking Shrek or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like, Shrek and stuff like hey, that. Hey, guys, let's do this script. And they're like, <laughs>
1: Um what was I gonna say? Oh, although they did they did change a bit of the script. They did change some words, and by that I mean they took them out. There's about a half hour of this film that was cut out yeah. that was about uh that was more contextual for the Fitz family. Uh I believe there's one of the most important scenes is uh Colonel Frank Fitz, uh play, played by Chris Cooper, uh who is the sort of the, the, the deeply closeted homophobic um but still but it's still homosexual man. No, Military colonel, uh, who is uh, Ricky's father, Uh, there is a scene you know where he the after he beats up Ricky for breaking into his cabinet with his Nazi his Nazi plate, uh, he would he goes back to that cabinet and he thinks that Ricky was looking at the a a picture of him and uh, a fellow soldier back like Mm thirty years ago, which which builds a little bit more of like um, this the idea that he is a closeted gay man, and. Uh, but I think Sam Mendes said he took that out because he didn't want to like give that away too early. Like that would be very obvious to what that character is, mm. and he wanted that reveal to be, to happen in that very that very good scene between uh him and Lester when when during the rain.
2: Yeah, I will say I do think that the Fitz family is underserved by the movie. Yeah. And, sure. And I think that in the movie's like two hours fourteen minutes. I don't think adding even half of that. it's, cut a, it's footage, around
3: two hours. Yeah, it's two hours oh. one minute. Yeah.
2: Well, well, even better then, I don't, I don't think there's any exactly. problem adding another 15 or so, because they're very interesting, and I think that they're used in a very economic way. You get a mm-hmm. lot out of Fitz, out of the Fitz family, particularly the Colonel, the just by, like, again, as we were talking about earlier, sort of understandings of certain, like, tropes, the sort of, yeah. you know, like, the, 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 the sort of tensions, especially, you know, pre-nowadays with... With with gayness in the military and all kinds of things, mm-hmm. like you can bring in a lot of context that I think informs those characters, but it's also very rich for storytelling opportunity. That I do think it's underserved a little bit, like the wife being, you know, having whatever uh, problems she's dealing with, being kind of left tacit. I, I just I just think that you could have given a little bit more time there, so that the fits didn't just feel like people around Ricky motivating
3: yeah. Ricky.
1: I yeah. didn't notice that that was Alison Janney until like 15 minutes from the end of the
3: movie. I'm like, that's fucking Alice and Janney. Yeah, well, I think it's because she's the least served character in the movie by a significant margin. I mean, she has yeah. like three yes. lines. And obviously that's intentional for a few reasons within the character. But mm-hmm. I, I think Abram's right is that I, I don't necessarily feel like something's missing from where they put the focus on this film. Because the, mm-hmm. the parents, uh, Ricky's parents aren't. That important to the core narrative, but I do think they're interesting, an interesting enough part of the ensemble cast that it would have made the film feel more complete if we found out what was going on with the mom and a little bit more about the dad and their relationship and how she raised, or I, I don't know, maybe how she met him and how she raised Ricky and like all this stuff. That is a very interesting history there because they have a much more interesting history than uh, than Lester's family. Lester's family is just a frustrated middle-aged white people family like they they just think exist think that's as that's intentional yeah it exists as a stand-ins yeah. but there is obviously a very rich history there to explain with the fits um that isn't delved into uh and the do you know if that script part ex- still exists like can you read it is was it it is in the filmed? it's in the
1: it it's in the original script it was filmed but they they cut it in the editing process mm. interesting okay yeah so it's, you can look up you, mm. you can look up the original script online and, and read that part um but well what was, what was i gonna say I, oh yeah tucker we can we can get the Fitz's story in american beauty 2 american 2 oh god um i i just want to say that i i
0: agree i think i did not feel the runtime of this film at all it's not that long in terms of best picture winners yes. certainly not no. um and yeah i think that there's this light thematic idea about like, oh, we're just an ordinary family, or maybe it was the inverse of that, towards the end of the film, and having the two families to play off of each other could have been interesting to further explore Mm -hmm. that idea. don't necessarily see how well it fits into these other themes that we talked about but it would have been interesting and i would have liked to learn yeah. more about the mom of the fitz family because she was pretty much a mystery to me the entire time i was like hmm something's up here something's not good as is as something not good is with all of these characters but i just
1: don't know what Hmm. all right uh, i i feel like we're winding down here i, I don't mean no. to take the reins here but i'd like to give a bit of a closing statement if that's Go right, right ahead boys uh I could talk about this movie for, like, another hour, quite honestly. I, I think that this movie, if we can refer back to our very opening the statement. The question
3: best is Patreon to find where Tanner oh. just sits and talks to himself about American Beauty for three hours.
1: <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I think this is a very deep film. Um, uh Tucker Tucker you said that you know this film is poisoned slightly by the like the the real world context in which it exists and if uh you or anybody else any of any of the viewers finds that for themselves that is a completely valid reason to like not be super interested in this film because Kevin Spacey is a fucking shitty person and deserves anything bad that happens to him but uh I will say that I I think this film is I, I, quite honestly, I, I think it's just a personal thing that I really like stories that sort of tackle the the horror in mundanity of American life and American culture, especially like middle class suburbia. And I think American Beauty is like the defining pinnacle of that sort of genre. It has cheap imitators. Tucker brought up uh, uh, Vivarium earlier. It, that's certainly, I think it has its cheap imitators. But I think that every single aspect of this film, like I said, from the performances to the thematic material in the writing to the score, which I almost never, never notice to multiple instances of cinematography is firing on all cylinders for me. And quite honestly, I could rewatch this film right now if I wanted to. And I'm just in love with this. Well,
0: I think I I'm glad that we got to see it because before you know before i'd watched it i kind of thought i was like oh it's just that it's that pedophile movie with kevin spacey in it and and now having seen it mm-hmm. i know that it is a lot more than that i think there is a lot more going on and the film has a lot going towards it beyond those contextual elements i it's man life imitates art and in, in not a good way in this case but it is it is what no. it is about the film and while you know I, I think I think Kevin Spacey's good in the film. I don't really I don't know I don't know if I'm super comfortable la- lauding him and his performance. I think it works, um, but mm. by and large, super glad I watched this film, and I think that it is it is quite entertaining at at a level. And I guess once we put in put in those numbers, we'll see how it ranks as a best picture because that's the is whole point of this whole thing. Should <laughs> we do that, you guys? That's our you, job, boys. Can we pivot this show to just talk about American <laughs> Beauty every week? The American Beauty Show with <laughs> Tanner and his three
1: accessories. Yeah. Are you guys ready? I'm tight. Uh, so, well, oh, I said, well, hang on. Uh, my tab is hidden, but now I have it. Thank you very much. The only thing I
2: would say, just to close personally, is that it's no Skyfall, but it's pretty good.
0: <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Skyfall okay. is uh, pretty sure. damn good. I've got my number. Do you guys have it pulled up, put in, ready to punch in? Yeah, I'm typing. Okay. In three, mm-hmm. two, one, boom! Whoa! Uh, so, oh, well, there's an outlier. We're very, very close, minus an outlier. I think you might know it who it is. The mm. average score is going to hit at an even 9.0. But the point breakdown, starting from the wow. bottom, because you'll see why. I gave it an 8.6 at the very bottom. Tucker one dec- one point above me at an 8.7, followed by Abram at an 8.9, and then Tanner. All the way at the top with a 9.9. A very, very high score, but mm, we could have seen that coming, I guess. So mm-hmm. let's see where that puts this film. A 9.0 is going to have to throw it right in between The Departed and Silence of the Lambs. Maybe fitting, considering that ending that we were talking about earlier. There's no no uh, ties or anything, so it's just going to throw right in there. Pretty far up on the list, actually. the The, the number is yeah. number... 10, the 10th best
1: film on our list. So, wow. Crack it, crack, crack in, the in the top, top ten. 10. That's yeah. impressive. Impressive. I'll, I'll say. I will say, uh, I, I did a lot of the heavy lifting in that score, so I'll have to take credit for it. Thank you very much. Oh,
3: yeah, quite yeah. a bit. Yeah, no, but I, I think this is, this placement is deserved to a certain degree. Um, I think this is one of the most interesting Best Picture winners. I I know we hate that word here on Quest, but (gasps) one of the most interesting Best Picture winners that we've watched from discussing it from all these different angles and it being pretty surprising and different. um, I I think that a lot of my disconnect from it being the best of the best is that it doesn't necessarily feel super ambitious uh, as compared to a lot of what you expect out of Best Picture winners when you're talking about titanic and godfather and ben-hur and all this nonsense that we've been watching it is very different from that i obviously i don't i don't think top 10 is is quite right for it but i it's a little too late for that our 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 scores you. have been placed in <laughs> uh, but i'm i'm happy with this placement i guess yeah mm-hmm.
1: I think that well, I I think that it works in that sense. Even in comparison to like Titanic and Ben Hur and stuff like that, because it proves that the best picture can be any kind of movie. It can be big and audacious and stuff like that, but can it also be a dark comedy that probably costs like I don't know fifty million dollars. I don't know how much movies costs, but uh, I, I think. I think having some variety in our top ten mm-hmm. is. good. I mean, my I guess my idea of what is holding this film back
0: from being you know totally elevated at to the top mm-hmm. is in sort of its audience. This film is very clearly designed for middle-aged white men, um, and and even sure. if I'm not middle-aged yet, I I will it's like Tanner. be. Um, and Tanner might as well be middle-aged right now. Um, and so mm. I think a really, really incredible Best Picture winner goes the distance and just has that as close to universal appeal as it can be. Um, and this film, you know, yeah. if I was a different person, had a different identity, then perhaps it wouldn't really sit as well as it does with me because of just how it is presented and who the main character is and, and all of that.
3: Yeah, it's definitely lacking universality. Uh, the, the fact that you, it does require... A, a previous knowledge of American culture and consumerism and, and, and all these different elements. I do think yeah, that, that I didn't say that in my criticism there, but I think that's also another reason why this, this feels very obviously like, yeah, the, the Oscars are for American people. They're voted on well, by American people. And, and I'm... that sort of, knocks it down a little bit for me as well
1: i can i i would say in counter to that that uh we really didn't get a universal sort of outside of the u.s perspective movie until like two years ago with parasite Mm -hmm.
2: also like the universality doesn't necessarily give you a very particular lens into anything. A lot of four quadrant films are four quadrant blockbusters and sometimes they're rich. Sometimes they're one of my top five favorite movies of all time. As I try to gesture to my reversed fucking discord, went at a point of my jaws poster. Oh, but I see. Okay. I, 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 I think that there is something very universal, about critiquing the American condition. And I think yeah. that you, if you relate to Lester, be beyond like, you know, his middle class w- male whiteness, like, you know, maybe that's a, maybe that's an, a thing for you to investigate on your own, but, yeah, I, but maybe I've,
1: a little bit. <laughs> but i I
2: just, I just feel like that's not uh, that's never going to be a factor in my decision. I, I think the the my score, I, I say because the the ability of a filmmaker to tell such a, a sculpted narrative, I think is important. and I do think that a satire allows everybody in because. Maybe this is, is made to be viewed by that middle-aged white man, but it's also made to shit on that middle-aged white man, too. So very true. Very, I, I think there's true. something interesting there. Um, can't believe Sam Mendez fell so far as to make 1917.
0: I after, don't know what all this 1917 sir. hate you but is. Your when I say I know, he knows what he's doing with the camera, I
1: mean it, and I include that film. I, and and I
3: right, mean T- 1917.
1: Timo? That's the one I'm Timo, talking about. Timo, you're right, and you should say it. I'm right. <laughs> But no, yeah. There you go, he, he, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, let's spin it. that wheel and find out what we will be doing. Let's do it. Wait, hang on. Hold on. Hold on. Are, are we spinning the wheel because we're taking yeah. a bit of well, a, we a are, break? Well, we are. We're not spinning it. Yeah, we still got so to know what we're coming back to. A cliffhanger. It's a cliffhanger. Oh, yeah. I we, see.
0: All right. We've I'm we've sorry. shown our cards, but we are going to be going on a break. By the time you watch this film, it'll be late January or late late December after Christmas. So enjoy your holidays. We're going to take a little holiday break, um, go on vacation. I'm on vacation right now, um, but we will be back uh, just in time, just a couple of weeks before the Oscar nominations come out. And oh, you better mm-hmm. bet your bottom dollar that we're going to hit those. We're going to hit them hard. We'll get, and I I cannot we'll wait to, to see what's nominated and then to
1: see the nominated films. But before we do that. We're getting some before we. Yes. We're getting Timo. some quest. Uh, we're getting some quest underneath the door right there. Some regular quest, and then we're going hard and fast into yep, just a couple season.
2: episodes. Timo, when we do, when we do the Dune nominee episode, it's going to be oh, such a great day. Lord. That will oh, be Lord.
1: insane.
3: It's not impossible, and that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, don't jinx it's it. You know what?
1: Let, if we break okay, it well, up, it might not happen. So let's not jinx it. No let's more just talking about that. Let's, let's bring it the up. The
0: spin wheel up. is up. Um, Tanner, let me know once you want to start singing.
1: And then uh, I'll hit that wheel.
3: <clears> He's not the one who actually well, needs I'm, to I'm, prepare I'm go-
1: for this. <laughs> I'm going in blind. I, I can't see the wheel. Oh, boy. Here we go. Okay.
3: <clears throat>
1: wheel, wheel, what's your deal? Give us a movie that makes a squeal. Is it on digital? Is it on real? Wheel, wheel, what's and your wheels deal? Wheel, a deal is number 16. So our audi-
0: our lovely audience <gasps> will be able Ooh. to see that. But guys just have to take my word for it you'll have to watch the video and see that i'm not lying um number 16 tucker what is it
3: Late on us uh this is a propaganda film Uh, a lot like uh (laughs) like mrs miniver i'm only halfway joking into that because Mm. what we're getting to is the 1970 best picture winner starring Mm. george c scott and directed by franklin j schaffner this is Patton. Patton. Oh. Oh, okay. Interesting. Patton is oh. two hours and 52 minutes long. Yeah, uh, I was just going to say it's a long of, one. Of, I was going to say George C. Scott, but he's the one playing George <laughs> S. Patton Jr., General George mm-hmm. S. Patton Jr., famous Howard. American war hero, <laughs> a war
0: film. Interesting that we get a little bit of break between the propaganda and then we get to come back at it.
3: So hopefully, uh, even though yes. it's actually not really propagandistic. It's 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 more of a biopic about him in, in a sort of critiquing mm. way. So, but the only I've, I've show I've seen I this know Oh, oh you have okay, interesting, It's, it's a very interesting.
1: Film. This is the one that has him standing in front of the, the, the massive giant yes. they American flag. Out, they
3: ripped that off of uh, the Suicide Squad. <laughs> Yes. The only
1: thing I I know about this
0: film is that Mm. we played the theme song in high school marching band whenever the football team would run on the field So I can't Mm. wait to hear that get played over Mm. and over again And me to hum along with it because if I played that song once I played it a thousand times
3: Yes (laughs) Yes we
1: did But we got lots of time to watch this we three do. hour film, this three hour war biopic. Yes. Um
0: and so do not worry, dear quest viewer. We'll be back. If you maybe are missing out on us, go check out an episode you missed uh, back in the deep catalog, some of them fifty episodes ago. It's all good, I swear. We will mm-hmm. be back in uh, in late January. Maybe you look like you got something to put in there?
2: Well, I was gonna say, if 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 you're a dirty Marvel fan, we do a very similar show to Quest for Marvel nonsense, so go watch yeah. UMP instead.
1: Yeah. The Go watch some of that. Yeah, yeah. We just did uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. That's a bit of a movie that people are
2: talking it, about It, no it is, it is. <laughs> it is. Actually, by the time I see this, we will have done
1: Spider-Verse, too. True, that's also true. Also, by
3: the time that this is come out, that movie will have been like a month ago, so... <laughs>
2: that's true, that's fair.
0: All right, well, I think it's about time to wrap us, wrap us up for Season 2 of Quest for the Bestest. We'll be back with Season 3, <gasps> an interesting film to end it on, yeah. um, but I... I Thank you, guys, for joining me for all these episodes, including this one. And we will be back for some more quests when we when we get there. See you then. Peace.